Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. This morning we're beginning a new sermon series uh, called Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, we're trying hard to create enough connection, but not too much that we break copyright laws. Uh, but this morning we're beginning with an iconic passage in Romans 12. So I decided to wear the iconic sweater of Mr. Rogers. This is licensed uh, gear, just in case you're wondering. We hope this morning, as we begin this series, uh, to discover a fresh vision, a reorientation to what it looks like to become good neighbors. We're living in a time right now uh, when things are incredibly polarized. And I think as the people of God, we have an incredible opportunity to be a unique witness, to be good neighbors in a biblical sense. And so we're going to look at this idea of being good neighbors as we look at Romans 12 through 15. So 613, 613, and that's the number that most scholars agree is the number of laws in the Old Testament. Now they disagree because there's laws that are in both Exodus and Deuteronomy. There's different ways of counting. Is it a law or an explanation? But most will agree that there are 613 distinct commands. Let's begin by acknowledging that's a lot, right? If you send me something like seven hacks to make your life better, I'm going to go, oh, okay, I hope I don't have to scroll too much. If you send me, you know, nine ways to uh, save money, I'm like, nine, really? That's a lot. But 613, if I gave you 613 commands to do, how many, how many of those, you know, would you do before you just felt exhausted and overwhelmed? It's a lot. And those laws are each there and they're all reflecting God's heart. But Jesus gave us an incredible gift. You see, on one occasion, some of the experts in the law, they were getting together and they were trying to get Jesus. They were always trying to sneak attack him with some kind of question that would stump him. And so the Pharisees got together and they said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength. And the second one is similar to it, is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's interesting as you look through the New Testament, every time the first command comes, love God, the second one is always attached to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's actually a number of places in the New Testament that quote just the second part, love your neighbor as yourself. So it shows up even more times than love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, I don't know exactly why that is, but my guess a little bit is that what if in some ways the second command was actually harder and more complicated at times, because we know people can be hard to love. There's people in your life that are hard to love. Some of them may or may not be sitting next to you. People are difficult. They challenge us. And so love your neighbor. It seems like such a simple command, and yet it's easier said than done. So Jesus lays the foundation for his law. He says it's love God and love your neighbor. So this is a really important thing. It's a big deal that we learn what it means to be good neighbors. What did Jesus mean by this. 
And so as Paul moves through his letter, what he typically does is he begins with an explanation of the gospel. He says, here's who God is. Here's what God has done for us. And then in the second half or second part of his letter, he goes on to explain how do we then live in response to this? And he gives a lot of practical instruction on how to do that. So that's where we are in the book of Romans. We're looking at this section. It's going to be super practical. A lot of things for us to really walk away and go, okay, uh, that is how I'm supposed to live. Now I need God's grace to help me to do that. And so Paul begins with these imperatives or these indicatives of the gospel is what they're called. That's just simply the statements about what God has done. He moves on to the imperatives. Here is how we are supposed to live. And so at the beginning of Romans 12, we get this statement that's going to set up the rest of the book. It's going to frame for us how we are to live as good neighbors. In order to be good neighbors, we have to first know what it means to love God fully with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's really what Romans 12 is about, helping us to understand that. So starting in verse 1, we've just read it. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So he begins this section with the word, therefore. He's connecting all of what he's written. He says, therefore, in light of this beautiful reality, the bad news followed by the good news, what Christ has done for us, the presence of the Holy Spirit, how how God is making us new people who look more like Jesus. He's filled us with hope for a better future, both today and and far into the future in our next life. He's told us all the beautiful reality of the gospel. And now he says, as these people who've been shaped by this beautiful gospel, you're to become beautiful good news people and make your neighborhoods more beautiful. This is our true and proper response to all that God has done for us. So pay attention to his tone here. He begins, I urge you. There's a sense of urgency here. Brothers and sisters, friends, I appeal to you. Let me just talk to you. And let me tell you, in light of what I have just written and you have read and you have heard, let me tell you the only the only proper response to this. This amazing gospel is that we lay down our lives out of joy and out of gratitude, not trying to pay God back. We could never do that. Not out of guilt, not out of shame, but out of joy and gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. We are now to give all of who we are as a sacrifice of worship. Oh, is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Give all of who you are. Surrender all of your life to God's plans and purposes. Now, this idea of a living sacrifice was countercultural in Paul's day and our day. And by countercultural, I don't just mean counter to the prevailing culture, the general culture, but even to the religious culture of that day, it was countercultural. Because what Paul does here, if you look at the language, he uses pretty traditional language. He talks about temples and sacrifices and like the idea of the priesthood of the believers, but none of the normal mechanisms are there. Instead of a physical temple, now all of a sudden he's talking about a living temple, that we are to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about sacrifices, but not blood sacrifices of dead animals. He's talking about that we are to be a living sacrifice with our lives. Instead of there just being certain priests and certain people who who helped mediate God's plan and and act as a liaison between God and his people, we are now, all of God's people, are to be priests. We are to be the priesthood of all believers. We are to go with the mission, the message of Jesus. And so this idea of being a living sacrifice is a completely radical idea. It was when Paul wrote it. It still 
is today. So it begs the question, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Right? If this is our appropriate response to what God has done for us, what does it mean? The first thing is it means that you must die in order to live. This is the story of the great reversal. That is God's story of redemption. He's always doing things the opposite of the way they seem. And so it's, it's this crazy truth that if you want to gain life, you have to lose it. You have to give it away. You have to surrender. So you must die in order to live. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So the goal is that more and more over time, that, that, that my desires would be transformed and changed, and that I would not live the life that I think I should live, but I would allow Christ's life to be lived through me. 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new... new people and not live the old way, the way that we used to live. Now, here's the thing. People will tell you what, you, what you'll hear predominantly in culture is this idea of, hey, you be you, right? We love this phrase, you know, and, and it can be used in a positive way, like don't try to fit any else, anyone else's boxes, you know, just be the unique person that you're supposed to be. But I think oftentimes there's something left that's missing, because we tell people, hey, you, you be you, but then we just leave them. We don't give them any idea of what that should look like. Well, will you just be whoever you want to be? Let's just stop for a minute and acknowledge that that is an overwhelming burden, right? I'm telling you, hey, go out there and become the person that you're supposed to be. But I'm not going to give you any idea or any guidance of what that should look like. It's like having endless options of ice cream at the store. You, you, it's just overwhelming, we don't, we don't, we need limiting options. And so it's not, it's not just about you becoming the person that you think that you should be. It's actually about becoming the person that God created you to be. Now that's not going to look exactly like the person next to you. There's going to be similarities. I'm not talking about creating Jesus robots who just all sort of, you know, walk and act the same. And it's like, you know, no, there's a uniqueness to that, but there's got to be a guiding framework for your life. Who am I supposed to become? Well, you're supposed to become the person God created you to be. Not just the person you think that you want to be. Because I know for me, I'd make a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> I need a guide. And the guide is that we are to become, look, we look like Jesus. We die to our idea and we say, God, what do you want my life to look like? So what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Well, it's a process of total life transformation. All of who you are. It's a call to surrender and to dedicate our lives completely for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors, to give ourselves to God with all that we are. It's not just a spiritual sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of our entire lives because, in fact, our entire lives are spiritual. And this is what Paul is trying to get us to understand. This is super important. And you may have heard this before, but I don't think we can hear this enough. We were created to live integrated lives. And that God, his life would be the framework for our entire life. And we would filter everything through this lens of who I am in Christ. And that would be our complete identity. But that's not really how we live our lives, is it? We love our lives in folders, or at least we try to. 
And we think that we can have these certain pieces of who we are and we can kind of pull that folder and be and do that or take care of that and check that off the list. So uh, this past week, I reorganized my uh, iPhone and, and this is those are actually my apps, but that's not normally what it looks like. Not quite. It's close. But so we organize our life into folders. And of course, we have the God folder where my Bible is and my church app. And of course, we all know the weather app is God's, right? We know that. (laughs) No confusion there. We have our work life. We have our relationships. We have our time. We have our money. And we think we can live in these nice, neat, tidy folders. And so our spiritual life is, you know, when we're doing devotions, when we go to church or, or Bible study. And we don't always think of, of the rest of our life in that context. We think these are just other things. And maybe we recognize God's given us that money or he's given us that time. But, but we think of it as a separate folder. So we could take the analogy one step and we could say, well, really all of it is in the same folder, which is th- that the folder belongs to God. But we could take it an even step further and say, no, no, God is the, he's the operating system. Your spiritual life is the whole operating system that runs all the apps and all the programs of your life. That was how you were created to live, is to, cre- to live in an integrated way and to understand everything within this reality of God. And who he is and what he's doing in your life. We were not created to live in folders. And it messes us up when we live in folders. So I hope that image will seal in your mind. Because it took me a while to organize them and reorganize those apps. So hopefully it's an effective point. What does it look like to be a living sacrifice? We have to die in order to live. It's a total life transformation. So how do we become a living sacrifice? Here's some kind of broad principles. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to unpack this in clear detail. So how do I become a living sacrifice? The first thing is to release control of your life. You can't be a sacrifice unless you give up control, unless you lay it all on the table. And man, this is one of those that it's just easier said than done. Oh, okay, pastor, thanks. Just give up control of your life. We all live under the illusion that we're under control. There are parts and pieces of our life we don't want to give up to God. And notice I said it's, it's an illusion of control, right? When you, whenever you think you're in control, you aren't actually. But we mess ourselves up when we think we have control of things. And we get very frustrated. And every day we have to wake up and recognize, God, all of who I have, all of my life, it all belongs to you. You are ultimately in control, and that is better, and that is good. You have to preach that to yourself. You have to have people around you who will remind you of the reality of God and that we were created to surrender control to him and to live within his beautiful kingdom, to live within his beautiful garden, and to trust in him to provide for us and to guide us. So the first step is a biggie. It's to release control of your life. So what area of your life are you holding on to most tightly? That's the convicting, haunting question of the day. What area are you holding on to too tightly? Release control to God. And that's a daily process. The second thing is to recognize that all of life is worship. That's the phone image. To recognize it's all his. It all belongs to him. All of life, this, this word bodies, it means to give all of who you are. It doesn't mean your physical body. It says, offer your bodies, it means offer all of yourself, your whole self to God as an act of worship. 
So there's an old uh, preacher sort of joke, I guess, illustration. It landed okay with traditional. I don't know if you guys will appreciate it. But one day in church, back in the day, uh, there was uh, this little girl, and she was sitting in the pew because it was back in the day. And, you know, the uh, ushers came, and they brought the offering plate, and they're passing them down the aisle. And the, the, the offering plate comes to the little girl, and she grabs the plate, and she throws it on the ground. The ushers, of course, mortified, can't believe what is happening. And the little girl stands up, and she stands on the offering plate. And, and suddenly, the usher realized, okay, I get it. This girl has understood that all of my life is to be an offering, is to be a sacrifice of worship. All of who I am is for him. So, so we don't just put our money in the offering plate. We put our lives in the plate and we offer it as a sacrifice of worship. Recognize that. The third thing is that we're called to reject the patterns of this world. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed. The word reveals to us that the values of the world oftentimes stand in conflict to the values of God's kingdom and the world's way of thinking and of relating. And again, that's, that's us. That's not those people out there, right? That's just the worldly. In other words, the anti-God, the opposite of living God's way is to live according to the pattern of this world and the world's way of thinking and relating and behaving often comes into conflict with the way God created us to live. And Paul says, do not conform to that pattern. Reject it. But we have to keep going. You see, because here's the problem. Some Christians will say, okay, I'm going to reject the pattern of the world. I'm going to pull back and I'm going to pull away. And I'm going to live for Jesus, but I'm, but I'm not going to... I'm not going to have any influence in my life. From, from I'm not going to be in relationship with other people. Right? And so there's a pulling back that can be detrimental because we're called to be in the world, though not of the world. And that's the tension. That's the hard part. It's easy to go one way or the, of the other. It's easy to be of the world or, or really you know, pull back and not be in the world. But being in the world but not of the world is the challenge. Right? Because we have to reject the pattern of this world. But it goes on to say that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. To be transformed by the word, so that we can live as salt and light. So we're told to renew our mind with God's word. That's how we're renewed. How do we know God's will? He's given it to us in his word. He shows himself to us, his character, what he's like, how he operates. If we continue to look and to dig and to study and ask the spirit to reveal to us, our mind will be renewed. And the final step of that is that then we are reoriented into God's story. We are to reorient our life toward God's story. He says the result of that, if you reject the pattern of the world, and if you're transformed by the renewing of your mind in the word, the result of that is you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And that's, that's what we want. We want to know God's will and we want to live into that. We want to get to the place where we, like Jesus, can say, not my will, but yours be done. Because, God, your will and your plan for my life is better than any that I could come up with on my own. We have to believe that, and we have to reorient our life around this idea of understanding God's story and then living into it, allowing him to tell his story through our life. 
And so we hope you're able to make a connection in this series between this idea of being for Tulsa, right? We've been talking about that since the beginning of the year. We're a church that's for you, we're for Tulsa, and we're for the world. And part of that calling is learning to be good neighbors. Being for Tulsa is just, it's just the idea, right? God says, this love God. Jesus, Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. The loving your neighbor is being for the place that God has called you to be. And this is an incredible task. We can only do it together with other people. And the beginning point of that, if we want to be good neighbors, the starting point of that is to recognize that all of who we are is God's. It's all God's. That posture will then help us to love our neighbors selflessly, to be patient, to be long-suffering, to be hopeful, to be joyful, to be these people we first got to recognize it all belongs to him. Because otherwise, then we're immediately going to approach our neighbors from our perspective. We're going to look to them for what we can get out of them or how we can change them or fix them. We won't relate to our neighbors correctly until we understand first that our lives are are all all God's. They're all his. Every part of who we are. And that's a truth that I feel like we just need to keep hearing over and over again. That's a different way of living. For me to wake up in the morning and to realize everything that I have belongs to God. All of my resources, all of my time, all of the relationships in my life, God has brought all of those things into my life. And he's given them to me as a gift, but as a gift to serve him with, to steward, to leverage for the sake of telling this story of good news. For us as God's people to embrace this vision, to become living sacrifices, will tell an incredibly beautiful story to the world that's different from what most people are used to encountering. It's different from human nature. To live in such a way. As God's people, this is what he has called us to. And, and the really good news is that he, he doesn't just call us to it and then sit back and watch and see how bad we mess it up. He gives us his grace on a daily basis. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his word. He gives us resources in prayer to connect with him. He gives us the community of believers. He gives us what we need to live in this peculiar way. So I just ask you this morning, will... Will you be my neighbor? Will you join in this crazy revolution that Jesus set up for us to live lives that are oriented toward loving God and then loving people, all people, men and women, boys and girls, made in the image and likeness of God? Would we love with a radical love and understand according to God's word what that looks like? That is our journey here in the weeks ahead God, how do we respond to your mercy and your goodness and live in response as a sacrifice of worship? We join me as we pray together. Father, we thank you for the beauty of your gospel. We thank you that you made the first move. We thank you for the finished work of Christ we sang about this morning. We thank you for what that does to us, what it does in us, and what it does through us. And God, we we hope, Lord, and we pray that neighborhoods in Tulsa, that places of work, that places in our community would become more beautiful in the days ahead as your light and your mercy and your goodness shines through our lives. 
God, we pray that your good news would change us and shape us and make us more like you. And that that would be a testimony to the world. It'll be for our good and it's for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.